when I first started at Rolling Stone, it's like, wow, did I become like 10 times better as an interviewer because I'm getting much better stuff, you know? And it, it, listen, I mean, there's a certain thing, like if you're there to report a Rolling Stone cover story or a big Rolling Stone feature, that the fact is these people are, are aware of that, you know, and they know that if they're going to say something real, this would probably be a better place than like, you know, the phoner for the, the tour opener with the local paper. Right. You know what I mean? So, so unfortunately, it's not fair <laughs> but it, it, it does provide a certain thing and it's like if they were just in rehab they know they're probably gonna have to talk about that in the rolling stone story 93x presents the celebration rock podcast with steven hyden this is the celebration rock podcast presented by 93x fm here in minneapolis i'm your host steven hyden my guest today is brian hyatt he is a journalist for Rolling Stone. He is one of the most uh, prolific writers of cover stories that is working for Rolling Stone right now. He's written nearly 50 cover stories. And he's interviewed basically everybody. Uh, Bruce Springsteen, Mick Jagger, Adele, Prince, uh, Britney Spears, Lady Gaga. The list goes on and on and on. So I know Brian a bit. We're Twitter friends and he's a guy that I, I've been wanting to have on the podcast for a while because he has a lot of good stories uh, about, you know, rubbing shoulders with famous people, you know, what that's like. You know, as a journalist myself, I'm, I'm always curious about how people approach writing profiles because it's a very tricky thing uh, when you're in a situation with a famous person and you're tasked with finding out who these people really are. You know, and, it, and that's a hard thing to do because there's an army of people around any famous musician. You know, there's publicists, there's managers, and they all want to keep the journalists from finding out the truth. And if you're working for Rolling Stone, you know, you are writing, you know, in, in many cases, you're writing the definitive profile of, uh, of these people. So you have to get to the bottom of it. And uh, it's not an easy thing to do. And, and Brian has been able to do it time and again, and it's something I really respect. So we talk a lot about that. We also talk a lot about Rolling Stone. Uh, Rolling Stone, of course, being still, I think, the preeminent music magazine in America, uh, which is an incredible an accomplishment, uh, you know, considering that you know, Rolling Stone next year is going to turn 50. <laughs> and in that time, there have been so many magazines that have come and gone. Um, you know, whether we're talking about Cream Magazine or we're talking about Spin Magazine or any number of other magazines, you know, magazines that rose up to compete against Rolling Stone. And uh, most of them don't exist anymore. And yet Rolling Stone is still going strong. And I was curious about Brian's thoughts on that. Like, what has been the secret uh, to Rolling Stone uh, staying uh, as, uh, as strong as it has after all this time? All right, before we get to Brian, there's something I need to share with you guys. This is important news regarding the podcast. Um, we are going to be going on hiatus in October. It's looking like it's going to be October 10th. Uh, it's going to be our last episode of the year, and it's going to be our last episode until probably early uh, 2017. Now, uh, for loyal listeners of this show, do not be alarmed. This is only a temporary break. Think of it as the end of season one of Celebration Rock. Uh, we will be back soon. Um, I just need to take a break. Uh, long story short, I'm having a kid in November, uh, which is a very intense thing. 
I'm also in the middle of writing a book, and uh, I'm pretty far along on the book, uh, but I need some time to do that, especially since I'm going to have a baby in my life. Uh, you know, a baby in a book. If, I, if it was just a baby, I could do the pod. If it was just a book, I could do the pod, but a baby in a book, it's like a very tough combination. So I'm going to take a little break from the podcast, but we, we will be back better than ever in uh, 2017. So just wanted to give you guys a heads up about that. We still have a bunch of episodes left. We have some really great interviews uh, in the can that I'm excited to share with you. Uh, and one of those interviews is this Brian Hyde interview. So why don't we get to it? Here's Brian. I think I'm okay in saying that, like, because we've been trying to set up this interview today. Because yeah, we've been sort of like Twitter friends for a while. Uh, and I, I wanted to have you on the podcast, but you couldn't nail down a time because you've been trying to figure out when you're going to interview Bruce Springsteen. Oh, right. So, yeah, but at that point, I think you can, I think you said, are we, are we taping now, by the way? Yeah, we're taping, yeah. Okay, okay. Um, this is going to run after his book comes out, so presumably your interview will run around yeah, the time his I book mean, comes two out. two weeks, if, if, I do have, yeah. Um, we'll see, yes, I am, in, uh, you may or may not be able to, the, the, uh, the interview will be out, um, it's, let's see, so a couple weeks, uh, like, like, I think two weeks from today, so I think you'll be okay. And have you done it yet, or are you Three waiting? Weeks. No, no, now it's, uh, it's next Friday, it's going to be right in the... It's gonna be right in the uh, three. Actually, it's three weeks from today. Is the is, is the issue is gonna come up? Okay. So. And and like, are you interviewing Bruce in person, or is that gonna be a phoner? Uh, no, that's gonna be in person. Yeah. Oh um, wow. Which I've which I've been lucky enough to uh, do before, so I'll, uh, the, a little bit of the impact will hopefully be off of me. I was gonna say because I mean, for people that don't know, I mean, you've interviewed pretty much everybody. I mean, you are like one of the top profile writers for Rolling Stone and you've written how many cover stories? Like it's like around 50 or so. I'm heading towards 50. I, I've, I've genuinely, uh, I, I can genuinely say I've lost count for the moment, but I, th I think it's, you know, not, not really. I think it's about 48. So, so I'm, I'm very close to 50, which, which is, uh, will be a cool, yeah. cool, nice round number. So pushing 50 at this point, <laughs> but like, do you, I mean, are there artists for you that you get psyched out for i mean because for me bruce springsteen would be the pinnacle like you, you i mean you've talked to him multiple times now or you will have uh so i mean but is that do you ever get nervous still or is it sort of like well i'm talking to bruce whatever we'll talk and it'll be fine you know at this point it's enough of pure it really is my job to the extent that what I get nervous about is just the sort of what anyone gets nervous about when they have a high stakes moment in their job is like, I don't want to screw this up. You know what I mean? <laughs> so, so the, so the sort of that overrides the, I don't really get starstruck at this point in my life. It's like, it, 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 it's just a occupational uh, benefit or whatever that I, I I'm pretty inured to the presence of celebrities. I mean, I, I, I think I think they tend to uh, the, the presence of uh, uh, of a celebrity tends to focus the mind a touch. Yeah. Uh, it, it, you, you do you, you and the the more famous, the more you're kind of like <laughs> very aware of the moment, which is good. Which is good if you're there to interview them and be very in the moment. Right. Um, you know, I I will say that you know, and I've been doing this. You know, I, I've been doing this a long time in general, even before Rolling Stone. But you know, there there definitely are moments. I mean, the one time I interviewed Mick Jagger. Um, and, you know, you're sitting there, and there's Mick Jagger, and, and there's this feeling of, like, wait, this is not a documentary. Like, he can hear and see me, <laughs> and he is responding to the things I'm saying. And there's this, the, you, you can have this, if you over kind of, 
focus on it, you can float out of your body, you know what I mean, and, and right. start hyper-focusing on the weirdness of... I think with, with someone like with a, with, a, with a Jagger or Bruce, there is, a, there is a danger of, like... Or a Paul McCartney. I mean, you know, it's just a little bit intense, like, where, where you can... If you're not focused on the task at hand, there is that thing like, like this is Paul McCartney, this is Paul McCartney. This is, you know, but, right. but, but, but the, the lucky thing is, you know, you're, you're there, and in my case, I'm there for a very real reason. Um, you know, I'm, I'm there to get the story. And we're, so there isn't that, and they know why I'm there, so there isn't that awkwardness or the nervousness on that level because your place there is so clear, you know? Right. Yeah, I mean, and I think you described it very well. Like, I've, I've profiled people, you know, not nearly as many as you have, but, like, that's always the thing for me when you're interviewing someone that is famous or, or someone that you've spent your life watching that there is that element of feeling that you are in a movie and all of a sudden it's like that purple rose of Cairo thing, like where the, you know, Jeff Daniels comes out of the screen and now he's addressing you directly. And it, it is sort of weird to have that. Um, but, but yeah, you've done it so many times that it, it, I'm sure it, it's just expected now. Um, you know, it's interesting. Like you said that you're there to do the story. And I think that people have, um, sort of a, a fixed idea of like what your job entails. Like, I, like I think of, that show Nashville, like there was an episode like where there was a reporter from Rolling Stone interviewing the exes, like that group, and like the idea seemed to be that she was going to nail them to the wall, like she was going to find something from their past and like draw it out of them and, and they had to like protect themselves from her and, and that whole thing. And I think that's the perception of someone like you who like works for Rolling Stone is doing these profiles. Like how does that compare to the reality of your job? Like what are you, like when you go in, like, what is the objective? I think, you know, it's, again, you know, on some fundamental base level, it can be summed up as get the story. And what that means is just get something interesting, get something real. Uh, for me, it's, it's get something that is actually new, which is the tricky part, you yeah. know, uh, whether, it's, whether it's some young pop star or whether it's a veteran band. It's like, how do, how do you, you know, how do you break news? How do you? break new ground it's not about you know there's just some weird you know in in popular culture or sort of like in uh internet um fan sites they have it like they're there to do an expose on it's like it's like what it's like that's not even a word like you you do see in the semi-literate among the semi-literate they'll say that it's an expose on it's like no it's not that's not the idea it's it's about it's about you know getting a picture of what someone or what a band or whatever is is actually like you know and getting something real and human yeah i mean i think about that story uh that was published after prince died where you did so i think the story there was that you went to visit him was it in like 2014 or something uh yes yeah and like the story wasn't published because he wouldn't consent to having like a (laughs) like a photo taken or something that's right yeah he he you know he he wanted a cover it was it was for you know, with the typical sort of, you know, idiosyncrasy, um, he he um, kind of said, "Hey, well, I'd love to do a cover," and we've been looking for a moment to do a cover with him. And it was for an album that then didn't come out for another eight months. And when it did, it was like paired with another album. Yeah. <laughs> so so there was that on top of everything else, like the album that he thought was imminent imminently released was like actually wasn't anywhere near close to being released. Um, so that's one thing. And then the other thing was, but basically he said he wanted to do a cover and then he's like yeah here's the picture for the cover and it was not uh it was not something 
uh, we'd run. It was it was kind of like almost comically airbrushed. He looked about 16 years old on it, <laughs> um, and it, it, like other stuff, it had the you know a pink background. It just didn't look like a, a, a magazine cover in in this in this decade. You know, it, it, it was it was crazy, and we just you know we said, can we agree on a photographer? Just all the usual stuff, and he just you know he just. He, he, he just wasn't willing to – he wasn't a big compromiser. You may know this about Prince. <laughs> that, he was, that wasn't a big part of his thing. It's funny because when he, uh, when he was taking me around, he, in his wall of sort of nostalgia, he had a, a, a blown-up image of an old Rolling Stone cover. Where, and he said I wouldn't pose for a picture, so they used this weird like, sort of still from a video, and it made my teeth look funny. You know, <laughs> which he's right, his teeth do look funny. In it. But it's like exactly, he, it's not even like it was fresh territory. He had done this before to us. I, <laughs> you know? Did he let you record the interview? Um, no, he did not. Okay, so you had to just take, like, so like, would he just say things and you'd sneak off to like scrawl it down in your notebook quick? It's probably, on this particular point, I probably don't want to give away too, the, too many of the magician's tricks, but, <laughs> but no, he, he did not want to see, a, he certainly did not want to see a recorder in front of him. Because like, the, the, your story, it ends with this like great scene where it's like, I think it's like two in the morning and uh, it seems like he's like walking you out of Paisley Park and the, he kind of goes into this thing where he's talking about mortality and uh, he's like talking about the Matrix and stuff like that. And then uh, I forget ex- what happens exactly, but well, like, he, it, like you, you drop your coat and you drop an F word. And there was yeah, an F- well, so I had this, you know, so it was, it was freezing outside. I mean, it, it was part of the sort of um, it was February in, in Minneapolis, and and uh, you know, there were, when I got there, there were like twelve inches of snow on the ground. And then I, I'd actually rented an SUV. I paid. I. I kind of boosted the rental because I thought I would basically die if I didn't. And it was one of the smartest <laughs> moves ever. Um, so it was really cold. So I was putting on my jacket to go out into this, like, you know, sub-zero weather because he was ushering me out. He, like, he, he, you know, was very polite. He was a very, very great host. He w- walked me to the room where I'd put my, my coat in my, uh, my bag, and I was putting on my coat. And uh, the zipper caught, or I think, like, really caught, you know, like, like kind of, like, broke. And right, for, you know, and, and of course, like it's weird to have something you, so human to ha- happen in front of Prince, so, and, so, and it was just sort of, and I said, "Fuck!" And he, and he was, you know, I, I had been given two rules, which were don't curse and don't ask about the past, right. and I had already violated the past thing because he kind of opened the door to it, and there I was cursing, and you know, and he said uh, so much for not cursing, and I was, I was very apologetic, and he, he, you know, wrapped me in this, you know, this very warm hug, uh, you know, forgiving me, and which he, he had just talked about the power of forgiveness and had I ever instantly forgiven someone and how powerful, how powerful that could be, and, and there, there he was forgiving me yeah. uh, for something that, frankly, I don't see as much of a sin, but still, in his, I, <laughs> I will, I, I will, I would, I respected his, you know, cosmology. So, um, but uh, you know, and then I walked out and, and uh, out of Paisley Park at two in the morning, and, and my car was almost buried in snow, and and, and uh, you know, like a foot of snow had fallen, uh, completely unbeknownst to me, because in Paisley Park, you know, the world could have ended, <laughs> and you'd have absolutely no idea because there's no windows anywhere. So like, you know, when that happened, I, first of all, I'm wondering, like, I'm not sure if you wrote your original story back in 2014 but like did you like when, that, when, when stuff like that happens like do you know okay well that's the end of my story or was it like when he died did that scene kind of have extra resonance and and so you chose it to end it that way like i i, I imagine that the story would have ended that way anyway because it's so but yeah it did feel that was a weird thing because it it, it there's a little element of that whole thing it worked the whole story worked better 
sort of tragically in the context of this is a posthumous visit. It didn't, it didn't quite feel finished at the time. There was even talk of me going to London and doing more reporting. Or, and then the thought was in my head, um, you know, the reason I was holding on to this is I thought, like, you'd come out with another album, maybe I'd get to go back out of them, and then I'd have an awesome sort of two-part, you know what I mean? Like, that would have been the first part, and then I would have gotten back with them a year later or whatever, you know, and then that was the idea. So it didn't even feel finished at the time, necessarily. But then in the, in the wake of the in the wake of, of his death, it then felt like this, oh, here was this glimpse of, of this pretty complex glimpse at this incredibly complex guy. Um, yeah. It, it was, you know, I had to write that very quickly. And I'd never had to write, a, it was a strange thing, because, yeah, I had not written it, because I think I, think I literally went straight from that and into doing a, 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 my Kiss cover story. And so, and then it was immediately kind of on hold because he wasn't doing the photo shoot, so I never really had a chance to... I never wrote a draft of it, really. Yeah. Um, I probably had a few days where I was supposed to be writing it, and, and it didn't really get started. So um, there you go. Yeah, because, I, I mean, I'm always curious about stuff like this, because, like, at Rolling Stone, I mean, you are going to probably have as much a- access or more than, than most music journalists, because people want the Rolling Stone story. It's like... Are there, are there, are there still music journalists? <laughs> <laughs> that, well, I'm talking to a, one. I, I, I'm talking... Is that the thing? I don't. I don't consider my. I, frankly, I don't consider myself that. But you know, I'm not sure what that is really. Uh, would you just say you're just a journalist? Yeah, I was, I'm probably like a. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm mostly. A, I'm a profile writer. You know, I'm like a long form writer. Like I, I, I think I'd have to think of myself that way because half the about forty. Forty to forty-eight percent of the stuff I write about it isn't, you know, isn't really music anyway. It's, it's, you know, actors and and movies and TV shows and stuff. So, so and, and uh, but but yeah, I mean, but with obviously with the music kind of, I I came from music, but I'm just uncomfortable with it. Interesting, I, the the whole the, like music journalist. I, I just don't know quite what that is, and it doesn't feel like a job, especially that anyone really has in 2016, you know? See, and it blows my mind that someone from Rolling Stone is saying that, because I feel like when people talk about Rolling Stone, it's like the almost famous thing where people imagine that, like, you're hanging out on the bus with bands for, like, three weeks at a time, and then you're coming back and writing these, like, hard luck stories about bands on the road and stuff. But, you know, even at a place like Rolling Stone... It's not just music journalism, it's all kinds of journalism, and that's just a reflection of the readers out there and what no, they want the to read tr- about. The, but the truth is that actually, that, that if you really look at Rolling Stone, that goes back to almost the, like literally the very beginning. Like right. We, we put, uh, and that's really true, that's not spin or anything, so to speak. That, that's, um, I mean, you know, like, it's funny, but I did a story where the Incredible Hulk like uh, car, like the CGI Incredible Hulk was on the cover for the last Avengers movie, and it was kind of a half a profile of Mark Ruffalo and half kind of the history of the Hulk Avengers thing. And people were like, "How you know what the hell is the Hulk doing on the cover of Wrong Stone?" And that was the greatest because the Hulk was on the cover of Wrong Stone in 1973. <laughs> so I, I had the I was so I was waiting for someone to say that, and like and I, I was just like you know you, you're like you're like frothing at the mouth for someone to say it because you're so you've got the greatest. And so I just like tweeted them the, the 1973 cover, and it's just like. Oh, never mind. You know, like, <laughs> like it was a drawing of the Hulk was on the cover of 1970. So it really, right. you know, it really always has been a broader thing. And I think, I think, you know, I think that's part of Jan's thing is he never wanted to be he sort of marginalized in any way. He wanted to reach into the broadest part of the culture, and that meant reaching beyond music. It meant, you know, not really writing about cult stuff so much as big mainstream stuff and it's part of the whole thing but right yeah so i i don't know if you can i i see your point um about you know perhaps the diminished place of music in the culture but i i don't in this particular case i'm not sure this actually quite speaks to that yeah well you know 
I got a little sidetracked. Like the, yeah. the the main thing I was going to ask about is like when you're writing a profile of someone, and and again, I, I felt myself do this in the situations when I've been writing profiles. Is you know, are you able to exist in the moment, or are you constantly writing in your head? So like, if you're in a situation or a scene, are you sort of judging it in terms of like, okay, well, this this is a good scene to put in my story. Like I think of like your your rush profile, which was awesome, Thank and you. and there's a scene in there like. Where I think it's you and Alex Lifeson like share a joint in that story, <laughs> and like when that happens, are you able to experience that in the moment, or is the writer in your head going like, "This is unbelievable. This is going to be a great scene." Like, how do you balance that? <laughs> the, 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 the joint makes it easier. Um, the, uh, um, you know, uh, it's it's kind of it's an interesting thing. It's 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 a complex thing, and I, I think generally, um, if it if it feels interesting in the moment, you can just sort of know that it's going to be interesting later. And, they, and I'm always recording, you know, like literally, I just have a tape record. And I don't play any games. Some people are like, you know, the, like, you know, worry about the recorder being out. My recorders are just always out. And since it's always out, they just can like, they, eventually they become inured to it. It's like, you know, if you're just recording and recording and recording their figure, you know, it, it, it just makes it less of an issue. Um, so like, you know, I mean, like if we were, if we were hanging out in this hotel room, I recorded all of it. He, he was playing acoustic guitar for me for, you know, what felt like hours. It was probably only like 10 minutes. Um, but it, you know, <laughs> it was a, it was be- this beautiful acoustic stuff. And, and, uh, you know, that's all, that's all recorded, you know? So, so I don't have to work. So the, I guess what, what I'm saying is the recorder sort of helps you not worry that you might be missing the moment you know because right. a lot of it is you know you 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 you're, you're getting it you know you're capturing it um you try to take notes i'm not i'm a pretty bad note taker it's a frustrating thing and and the, you know the the um faster on the phone but it's difficult to you know to you know typing on the phone but it, it's it's kind of it makes it look like you're texting so you don't want to be doing that so that right. that's a tricky thing the, the occasional narrating into the recorder is actually the fastest thing you know oh um, right okay um, but uh, that's, so that's a tricky thing. But it's amazing how much the audio, and a lot of times what I do is I, I do ask about visual details and the and things that are happening so that that all gets on the audio recorder. If you know what I mean? Yeah. yeah. So for example, if you're in a room, you ask for a tour of the room. Right. You know, like what's this, what's that, and then that's all kind of there, and that helps you kind of make sure you're getting it. You know. Right. Right. Yeah. I just feel like whenever I've been in those in, in those situations, even when I was recording it, I was always writing in my head. <laughs> it would be like, like, oh, I hope we go into this place because this could be a good right. scene or something. But <laughs> like you, like you don't want to manipulate it because you want it to happen organically and 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 to have you know the subject to act as they would. But like, it's hard sometimes not to do that because if it's not happening, if it's like kind of like a boring encounter, it's like, well, how am I going to make this interesting? <laughs> I've been, you know, I've, I've been lucky so many times in amazing things just happening in front of me and it's sort of like you always just worry your luck's going to run out on that front like it's it's you know i mean the one that that rob sheffield loves reminding me about just over and over again is is that when i was in the uh the lead of my um roger Waters story it was when we, we he and i got into um he and I got into this car. Uh, Roger was, you know, we were going to a restaurant, and and, uh, and the, the driver immediately recognized him and just went in this hilarious monologue at Roger. And it's just the funniest person in the world to have an overeager fan in in a, in a car with him, <laughs> you know. And, and it just was, you know, like he literally said, like you know, like 
what, what do you say? That, I mean, this is all in the story, but he's like, no dark what in the classroom? <laughs> like, literally, I mean, this literally happened. I was recording all of it. And it's just, I mean, that, when that happens, you're just sort of, you know, offering a, a, a thank you to the journalism gods that, that you were there to, to witness this, and you pray that your recorder is working, you know, and, or, or just, you know, I don't know, when, when Billy Ray Cyrus stopped by when, Gene, when I was over at Gene Simmons' house, and then, <laughs> and then Paul Stanley stopped by, which I think he kind of did to, to, because he knew it would be good for the story, but it wasn't planned in any real way, and then so I got to witness them together, you know, it, it, like just stuff that, that you, you, or, you know, I'll, I'll give you, on my first cover story with Pearl Jam, I, I was, um, you know, I, I, I was, uh, Mike McCready, like, saw me uh, outside the hotel, and he's like, he's like, hey, I'm just going to go to the, the uh, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, we were in Cleveland, so <laughs> I should mention, we were in Cleveland, and, and, I, and I was like, cool, and, and he's like, you want to come, and we, 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 so we walked over to the Hall of Fame, and we're walking to the Hall of Fame, and we walk in, and we somehow literally without planning to just walk towards the grunge exhibit where the moment we walk by there's like a video explaining how mother love bone became project oh my you god know? so it's so it's just like i mean like how do you not put that i mean it's just you know serendipity and i mean to a certain extent just you know the the access and the access creates its own luck yeah. um and you fight for the access and you make sure that you know so, so but you know it's just like there's only so many of those things that can happen before you're just like oh maybe i've exhausted my my you know sort of journalistic luck on these things oh that's incredible see like in my experience like when i've written profiles i've always approached it as a critic you know and i'm always, i consider myself a critic first and then you know i've written profiles here and there and for me i always prefer i think to be a critic because um I think at heart, it's the arrogance of the critic where you feel like you have more interesting things to say about the record than the artist does. So there's right. that arrogance. And then there's also, you know, just the freedom to say what you want, you know, because sometimes when you're in a profile situation, you know, there's certain restrictions that might be put into play. I mean, I don't know if you have to deal with that at Rolling Stone, if there's maybe, you know, if you have more leeway with that. But like, how, how do you navigate? the expectations of the subject, the expectations of their people, and also your own sort of job in getting the story. Because, I, I mean, it, it isn't just as simple as talking to people. There, there are publicists, there's management, you know, there's barriers that get put in the reporter's way. Uh, how do you get around that and publish something that's truthful and, and legitimate? Well, the, you know, the... There's a little bit of a, a joke is like sort of when I, when I first started at Rolling Stone, it's like, it's like, wow, did I become like 10 times better as an interviewer because I'm getting much better stuff, you know? And it, it, listen, I mean, there's a certain thing, like if you're there to report a Rolling Stone cover story or a big Rolling Stone feature, people, you know, it's like the, the fact is these people are, are, are aware of that, you know, and they know that if they're going to say something real, this would probably be a better place than like you know the phoner for the you know the tour opener with the local paper, right. you know what I mean. So so unfortunately it's not fair, <laughs> but it, it does provide a certain thing. And it's like if they were just in rehab, they know they're probably going to have to talk about that in the Rolling Stone story, whereas they can get away with you know. So it's like this weird. It, it, it's like this. I, you know, I, I don't feel bad about it because I didn't like start. You know, I, I worked a long time to to sort of get to. Rolling Stone, so I don't yeah. feel like it's sort of an unearned, <laughs> unearned privilege. Um, well, yeah, but, you know, but, but, but that makes but sense. I, yeah. Like it's like the legacy of the magazine. It's like, well, if I'm going to talk about my drug addiction, like, well, this is where Axl Rose talked about being abused. This is where Elton John came out as gay, and there's like a legacy at this magazine. So it's like, in a way, you'd want to be a part of that uh, if you're going to talk about that stuff. I would imagine. And, and I think just in general, like you know, basically, like for whatever you know. 
even in 2016, and, and you know, I, I've definitely seen understandable frustration from this from, uh, you know, online publications that are trying to do long form, is, you know, they, in general, celebrities are comfortable with the idea that their big sort of revelations and their big interviews and their big frank kind of discussions happen in these big print profiles. That's just the way it, 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 it I think there's a bunch of complicated reasons for that, but that's just kind of the expectation. So it's just a little different, you know, and it, it's also like, you know, you're spending hours and hours with someone it's just different, you know, and, and um, I mean, is it a matter of trust or tradition or what you, like, I, I think it's also, I mean, I, you know, I'm, I'm kind of discounting my, I'm, I'm, I'm discounting the skill of, of the people actually doing the interviews, whether it's me or someone else. I mean, there's also like, you sort of know what you're doing. Right. right. Um, and there's ways of, you know, and, and there's, there's many ways of, you know, listen, it's what I do for a living. So it's like, there, there's ways of, you, you want to be interested without being salacious. You want to be respectful. You want to be, you know, so, so it, it, it kind of, um, and a lot of times, you know, it's whatever, it's a divorce, whatever, it, it tends to come out of them first, because if they're talking honestly, there's only so long they can talk around the thing. Do you know what I mean? It's yeah. just like, it, that, that's usually what happens is they open the door because they, this, <laughs> you know, whatever, whatever it is, the rehab or the divorce or whatever. And listen, is there always a thing like that? Absolutely not. But, you know, some percentage of the time, there's something that's like sort of the, the thing in the air, you know. And mostly the, the subject brings it up because in some way they want to tell you their side of the story, you know. Um, and, and because it's too – and then also it's just too damn hard to try to like <laughs> pretend whatever the thing is doesn't exist, you know. I mean, has there ever been an instance where you wrote a story and the subject got like really pissed off at you like after it got published? I'm sure it's it's always for the reasons that you don't. Well, I'll give you a good example. Like the, I think you know my. You, the, so I did this Mastodon story, um, which was a lot. <laughs> where where, where um, uh, Brent uh, got like unbelievably drunk, uh, and and like at one point threatened to kill me and all this stuff, and and then it was you know so so like um, it, it, you know. It, it was it was like a, a pretty vivid profile of Brent as like just like the drunkest nuttiest dude ever like a true rock and roll madman and uh, the drummer and the, then the drummer's sort of situation with, with you know he had some tragedies in his family and so I mean and the lead was the lead was <laughs> the lead was was basically I think you know it, it has come to the I, I don't want to screw it up but it's it, 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 you know we've reached the the, the the point in the evening uh, where, okay, I'll, I'll read it to you. Brent Hines, frontman and lead guitarist for Mastodon, has reached the inevitable point in the evening where his speech starts to slur. That's, that, you know, so that's the lead of the story. And, it, you know, uh, so, so it's like, so you write a story like that, you're like, okay, you know, they're not going to be like, great, you know, they're not just going to be like, you know, loved it. But then you get to complain. The complaint is like, well, you focus too much on Brent and the drummer. What about the other two guys? <laughs> so that's the complaint, you know. It's like, so it's like it's always sort of often it's just not what you would expect. So it's like, and yeah. they were really mad about that. I was, I was like, I mean, you know, if one guy is like a lunatic drunk and the other, and another guy has this horrendous family tragedy and everyone else is just like just a nice guy, what are you going to write about? You know. <laughs> um, so that's really funny. I mean, it, it's often stuff like that rather than what you you'd think, you know. I, I'm yeah. not. I don't. I'm pretty. I'm pretty straightforward. I'm not going to sort of. 
I'm not going to be hopefully like super fake and then surprise them with something super, you know, if, if it looks like, if, if it's something where there's hard questions to be asked, I'm going to ask the hard questions. I'm not going to pretend to be their best friend and then stab them in the back like someone in some episode of Nashville or something. You know what I mean? It's, it's, it's not like that. So, yeah. so yeah, I mean, there's certainly been cases of, they, again, yeah, there's been cases of unhappiness, but it's often with, for something like super weird exactly like that. That's usually, do you know what I mean? Yeah, yeah. But like it's not the thing you think it would be, you know? Yeah. Um, so that that that's I, I haven't had too many direct things where it's like how dare you talk about this you know what I mean it's more it's 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 interesting. And how long have you been at Rolling Stone now? Uh, I think it's uh, eleven years. I think. And and where did you work before that? So I worked um, directly. I was I was at uh, Entertainment Weekly, um, okay. where I was actually a writer for EW dot com mostly, but I, I did a lot of magazine stuff. Um, and I made. I was like, you know, what's what's a burgeoning field is this print journalism. I should get into <laughs> that. So, so I, mean, I, was, <laughs> I decided to make that jump. Um, and uh, and then before that, I was actually sort of a quote unquote sort of pioneering online journalist. I mean, I I, I was uh, I was at MTV News, uh, but before that, I was at, at a site called SonicNet that really was a very early kind of music news uh, site, and we, you know, the, which was kind of helped invent kind of daily music journalism. Yeah, yeah, I definitely know that site. Like, were you a guy that grew up reading Rolling Stone? I mean, was that something that you, was that like a goal to end up there? I mean, you know, it, it didn't, I, I certainly grew up reading it. I, I had no idea how you'd end up, this isn't the kind of job, it, it would, you'd have to be a lunatic to be like, I want this particular job, you know what I mean? It, it just doesn't, <laughs> um, I, 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 I think, I, no, I didn't have this direct goal. I just wanted to, you know, I, I wanted to try to try to do good journalism. I really came up as a reporter, you know, and I I, I had some ideas about rock criticism, about music criticism, but um, I realized I, I felt like I could distinguish myself more as a reporter. Um, I, I remember feeling, I remember like sort of when I thought about uh, when I was starting in New York, I was, I was like, oh, should you know this whole thing of like, because I have people who work with me now who like started in that way of like, oh, they submit a review to the Village Voice. Like that's the way, you know, the rock critic way of coming up, you know, and, and it was like, and I'd look at the Village Voice and I was just like, I don't know, like the, it was sort of the same thing now where it's like you, you basically would have to have some weird sort of contrary hot take. Um, <laughs> you know, like, like yeah. I mean, it's like I, I, I tease one of my coworkers who wrote a very good piece about like how, but it was like how Yankee Hotel Foxtrot actually sucked, you know, like which he which he now he now disavows. But it was like, but that was like brilliant for him to come up with like that pitch, and that was like his big piece that got him attention. Yeah, uh, Christian Horde, great guy, and I, I love him, and he, he's a great writer and a great editor. And that was, and I was telling him like I could not have thought of that at the time. Like that was his sort of thing. Like he. And he—that's what started his career. He came up with this like very smartly argued piece about Yankee, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot sucks, which, which is funny now. Of course, like probably that's like what ninety percent of everyone who's in who's a music critic thinks, right? It's probably they, like it's like—is there anyone who's a, like there's probably like five people still working as music critics who would still admit to liking Wilco? <laughs> but, but I'm excited. Well, I would say I would argue that the loudest critics hate Wilco, but there's a lot of people that still like them. Maybe. Yeah, I'm, I'm being I'm being somewhat facetious, but you know, right, right, right. right. Yeah, you know, I, I get what you're saying. Yeah, I mean, you, you know what I mean. Back back then, there was it was a back then the the overwhelming sort of um, you know the 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 overwhelming um, mass of, of of music critics felt that Wilco was the greatest thing in the world. You know, it was a long time ago. But anyway, so that 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 whole sort of the sort of um, intellectual sort of backflips that were required to break into that world didn't feel 
natural to me. And I felt, but what I did, I, I was a natural reporter. It turned out, and I liked, and, and, and hopefully writer. And, and so it just, it's, I think that's sort of how I ended up on, on the path. Uh, and it just was faster to, I just wanted to sort of break through, you know, and, and I, I did, you know, and, and, and reporting was, I was breaking news, you know, and I was, so I was, and I was getting sort of out there on that. And that's sort of how I ended up, I ended up in that direction. And I know you're running uh, short on time here, but uh, before I let you go, I, I, I do want to talk about Rolling Stone in general because, you know, you, you made a, a joke before about how you, you you transitioned to, like, the thriving world of, of print, you know, starting online and then ending up at Rolling Stone. I mean, Rolling Stone still is a magazine that seems to be doing really well, that's established, people know what it is. And it is incredible because, you know, I, mean, I, I know you said, you know, from the beginning Rolling Stone has been a pretty broad magazine in terms of culture and politics, but I think it still has a pretty strong music identity. Sure, sure. And, and yeah. so many music magazines are, you know, have started after Rolling Stone and, and folded long before Rolling Stone did. And I have my own theories about like why Rolling Stone has survived, but like, do you have any thoughts on that? Like, what do you think has kept Rolling Stone as strong as it has, you know, after being around for like, you know, almost 50 years now? Well, I do think, I mean, you know, and I will say we're, we're certainly not just a print publication, to, to be clear. I mean, we're, we're um, you know... You're a big the, website. The, yeah, yeah the, fact, the fact is, like, our, our digital presence, uh, you know, this, this might surprise people, but for years, even before kind of the amount of energy that's been going on into the wrongstone.com, we always got, we're, we're getting way more unique visitors than, say, Pitchfork, you know? Right. It, it, it might have been a more sort of focused, whatever, passionate kind of audience for Pitchfork, but in sheer numbers always dwarfed it and certainly now you know so but but anyway i mean you know i think listen i you know and i don't want to uh you know it, it feels like you should like sort of knock knock wood before you talk about why things are going so great <laughs> but i mean i you know uh and there's, there's always challenges but i but i think i do think listen I, one of the big things is not just being a music magazine flat out right. it's not it's 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 not i mean you know since the beginning politics pop culture investigative stories uh, you know, uh, some go better than others. Um, but, but, <laughs> um, you know, but, you know, it, it, there's, there's always been such a broad thing. And I think it's a brand that actually means a lot of different things to different people. You'd be surprised. Like, you know, sometimes it's just that different things we've done make different people mad. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's, that's often what it means. But even so, it's like, you'd be surprised. Like, for people in politics, it means something totally different than what it does to people in music. Um, and, and so it, it's, I think the kind of weird broadness of, of, the, of the brand has made a big difference. And then it's allowed us to keep doing a, a bunch of music stuff, you know. Um, and it's like, so, I mean, again, back to, to Pitt, I mean, People were talking about, oh, Pitchfork is the new Rolling Stone. It's like, actually, Pitchfork was the new spin, you know. Um, that, I mean, in my, you know, I, I think, and, and many other things. But, but I mean, it, it was more, it, 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 it ate their lunch, at least at first, you know. Well, um, the connection I, make, I would make between Rolling Stone and Pitchfork, and this gets to my theory about, I think, why Rolling Stone has, has stayed around, is that, I think it is because of Jan Winner's authorial voice. I think that he is the auteur of that magazine, and I think he puts his voice on there, and people know what to expect from it. And people, there's people who hate that voice, there's people who love it, but it's reliable, and the people that rely upon it know it's going to be there. Whereas opposed to like a spin, 
I think they went through a lot of cycles where they were chasing trends and they would kind of change what they were into every couple years. And after a while, it dilutes what that brand is. And I think Pitchfork had that maybe more in the beginning with Ryan Schreiber. I think he still has like a lot of voice with there, but like I really think that that sort of auteurism that's behind Rolling Stone, I think that says a lot for like why they've stuck around as a music magazine. That that's my theory on that. That's interesting. I mean, and at the same time, you know, it, it, the truth is, it's obviously not. It's Jan's magazine. At the same time, he he's brilliant enough to understand that. You know, his own personal tastes don't always reign. Otherwise, we wouldn't have Future on the cover. You know, we wouldn't right. have, you know, I mean, it, like, it, we're a million, you know, a million pop stars. It, it's not, we're not actually just completely guided by what he personally likes. Oh, the, but that does provide the sort of, there's a certain bedrock there, you know. And, and it's like, I think we looked, we end up, you know, people... People can say whatever about, you know, our um, <laughs> persistent um, affection for, you know, Bob Dylan and Bruce Springsteen. But in some ways, I mean, you know, like kind of sticking with Springsteen kind of looks smarter than ever in 2016, doesn't it? I mean, it's sort of like it, it kind of it, it kind of seems like, the, you know, more people than ever recognize it's like, God, this guy's a, an American treasure. You know what I mean? Like, well, I, 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 and, I, and again, I think for the audience that reads it, you know, he's still, he's always going to be relevant. And there is a, and there's not this thing of like, well, you know, this thing's not cool anymore, so we're not going to care about it. You know, which I think has been true for a lot of music magazines where they sort of chuck certain artists if they're not super popular anymore. Right. Well, and, listen, flat out though, we, I mean, you know, we, we, we certainly do that too. And it's certainly <laughs> like we're, we're, you know, like, like, you know, again, cause it's not like people might have a sort of cartoonish idea about what's on the cover, but it's not like Crosby, Stills and Nash have been on the cover recently. Do you okay. know what I mean? There's a very small tier of classic rock artists who still can make the cover. Very small. You know, we're not putting like I think people have that like sort of joke like Tim Heidecker idea, but like you know like you know Steve Winwood is not on the cover. Role. You know what I mean? It's sort of like <laughs> there's a there's a tiny group of legends: McCartney, Dylan, Springsteen, and like maybe two other guys who still of that generation who still can be on our cover. Like you know Neil what I mean? Young. Neil Young could probably be on the cover. Yeah, but it's been a while even for Neil. It's been years. Yeah. You know? So it's just, it's like important to recognize that for the most part we're, we're you know, we're, we're, we're weaving an interesting thing where, yes, we put these people on the cover at the same time trying, you know, living in the, in the present day. You know? Yeah. And, and I've, I've written about every single big pop star. Uh, in fact, that's what, music-wise, that's, that's a lot of what I end up doing is like sort of, um, female pop stars in the past few years, uh, and that's one of my favorite things to do. Yeah, um, we had a big Adele cover story. Like, when yeah. her record came out, and uh, Gaga, Katy Perry, right. Taylor. I've done, you know, and and then, so, so that that's been a lot of what I, I've I've done two Gagas, you know. So so um so yeah, but it's it, but yes, I, I I of course I know what you're saying, which is the, the keeping this sort of bedrock, but keeping this bedrock, but not being totally imprisoned by it, you know, and not to the point of and. And yeah, and, and understanding that, that certain things would be ridiculous. You know, like, like, you know, we're not, you know, we're not putting Paul, I mean, we, we love Paul Simon, but you don't see him on the cover. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, there, there is a certain, and it's interesting who kind of, that, that small group I'm talking about, you know, or Stevie Nicks, you know, like we put Stevie Nicks on the cover, you know, um, because she is someone who's still, who's a total stone legend, 
uh, not in a Rolling Stone sense, but in an old-fashioned <laughs> slang sense, um, and and is like, as in like the Stone Groove, um, but but like you know, it, it is an absolute legend who's also sort of still loved by people of all generations, which is true of all those kind of people I, I named, you know. So so that's the difference between because that's the other thing is you have people come into Rolling Stone and be like, oh, you guys, so, so we, we just do all that old music here, right? We still put like Bob Seger in the cover. It's like no, no, no. You know what I mean? It, it, it's like a it, 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 it's not that simple, you know. Right. Although I, I do love me some Seeger. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I think you. I think Rolling Stone needs to put Bob Seeger and Paul Simon on the on the same cover. <laughs> Maybe they should make a record together. Uh, Brian, hey man, this was so fun talking with you. Thank you so yeah, much for, you for, for me. giving Absolutely. me the time. And uh, yeah, read Brian's work on Rolling Stone in Rolling Stone magazine and RollingStone.com. Brian, thank you again. Thank you, man. All right, Talk take to you care. Soon. All right, that was Brian Hyatt, Rolling Stone magazine, writer of many great stories. Um, we talked about the Prince story in our interview. I highly recommend Googling that and reading that. I'm also a big fan of his profile of the band Rush. Uh, and not just because he got to smoke weed with Alex Lifeson, although that is an incredible achievement for a journalist. Uh, and I will always be envious of Brian for that. Um, Guys, thank you so much for listening to this episode, and and thanks so much for your support of the podcast. You know, all the time I see people talking about the podcast and social media, spreading the word, and that is a tremendous thing for us that really helps us grow the podcast. Um, I've also seen a lot of you guys leave reviews of the pod on iTunes, and that's also tremendously helpful. Uh, All that good feedback, it it brings more people into the fold. Um, Or if you're just someone who's told a friend to listen to us in real life IRL <laughs> that's fantastic too so thank you so much for that um, and thanks so much for listening guys uh, this has been a really great episode uh, and we will look forward to talking at you next week <laughs> <laughs>